Hey, like many other pastors, uh, this week I've heard some very interesting phrases as a lot of churches have made the decision to go online or to not have the large gatherings. I've heard phrases like this, uh, the church is shutting down or the church is closed. This actually reveals an inaccurate understanding of the church. Now, let, let me demonstrate that, for example. How many of you, and you can do this with me. In fact, if you've got kids in the room, uh, maybe you, you can follow along. But there's this, little, there's this little hand game, right? Like, this is the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. See all the people, right? We, a lot of us were taught that as kids. Here's the problem. It's a lie. <laughs> it's wrong. See, when you ask people where they go to church or ask them about church, they typically think about a building. But that, that's actually not what the Bible teaches about the church. See, see this, this, this building is not the church. The people are the church. So if you want to make that hand game reliable and accurate, it's like this is the church, not the building. So church is the people. It's the body of Christ actively loving each other, living for God's glory, reaching the lost. It's not merely a group of people gathered in a building, sipping coffee or singing songs or listening to a speaker. Those things are all great, but that's not the definition of church. So uh, if you're familiar with the study of the church, it's a big fancy word called ecclesiology. Well, here's just a little micro-ecclesiology. The many people today that understand the church as a building or as a worship service aren't operating off the biblical understanding of the church. The church may meet in a building. The the church may have a worship service, but it isn't just a building or a worship service. Uh, For example, and there's many verses, but I'm just going to give you one. In Romans chapter 16, verse 5, God speaking through the Apostle Paul uh, gives a greeting as he's writing to the Christians in Rome. He says, greet also the church that's in their house. We'll see who's in the house. Well, obviously this is not inside this, right? The church is the people. It's the gathering of the body. And they were happy to meet in the house. And so the word church, in case you didn't know this, is a translation of the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out ones. And that was a common term. The ekklesia would be called out of their homes for a gathering together. And so God has called us out of our homes at times to to go reach the lost and love on needy people and to gather together. And God has called us out of darkness to be light. God's called us out of death to be about life. And so the ecclesia is the called out ones. And the church is the global congregation of believers in Christ that meets in all sorts of local gatherings scattered all over of many sizes. And God's plan for the church is to be infectious. Now, I know that's a loaded term right now, but it's a fitting word to describe the church. See, infectious is an adjective used to describe something that can spread. And that's been God's plan for the church from the beginning, for the good news of Jesus to be contagious, to spread rapidly, to be infectious. Another pastor put it this way. Uh, about the Lord, the church, and the gospel. He says, God wants us to become contagious as believers who will first catch his love and then urgently and infectiously offer it to all who are willing to consider it. This is his primary plan, the one Jesus modeled powerfully to spread God's grace and truth uh, person to person until there's an epidemic of changed lives around the world. And so as we think 
think about the coronavirus, as we think about uh, protocol with, you know, contamination and infectious disease, I kind of want to flip the script on that and think this is exactly actually what God wants for the body of Christ, his people, to be infectious, to be contagious with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the ecclesia, the church, has been designed by God to be a people so in love with Jesus that their lives and their message would be infectious to the people around them. Now, the church is made up, and and we see this all the way through the the early teachings of Scripture, the church is made up of disciples. Now, a disciple is a student. So as Christians, we are disciples of Jesus. Here at CVC, uh, we've looked at how the Bible describes disciples. We looked at how the Bible instructs disciples how to live. And we have articulated six characteristics that we believe are true of mature and growing disciples of Jesus as we look at the Bible. And so we've entitled them the fruit of new life. This fruit of new life are six characteristics that you will find in growing, maturing, disciples, followers of Jesus. And they are a beloved child, a self-feeder, a servant, an investor, and a discipler, and a missionary. And those are just terms we've put together, extracting from what we've seen in Scripture. So if we're growing in and living out the new life that Christ has given us, our love for Christ becomes infectious, especially if we're living out the fruit of new life during a time of crisis such such that we're seeing right now with the coronavirus. So how does one living out the fruit of new life in an infectious way, respond to challenging times like the ones we're in right now. I just want to walk through six of those and unpack those for a minute. Uh, The first one, how does a beloved child respond to challenging times? Well, they respond by exclusively trusting in their heavenly father and walking in faith rather than fear, knowing that their good and loving God is in full control and will provide and protect despite a uncertainty, and challenges. I want to take you to a passage. In each one of these, I just want to take you to one of many passages of Scripture that really uh, demonstrate this fruit of new life. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 27, so you might have a Bible in front of you or a Bible app. Feel free to open it up and follow along or look at these passages on the screen. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Is that not an appropriate verse for us right now? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And so as we look at that passage, it becomes very clear that that God cares for all of creation. He cares for every little critter that he's created. But there is a special, unique, fierce love and devotion that the Heavenly Father has for his people, for his children. And when you invite Christ into your life, when you surrender your life to Christ, acknowledging your sin, repenting and coming to him, you become a beloved child of God. 
God. And just like a child with a healthy father can depend on that father, trust in that father, and, and feel confident and secure, we as children of God, beloved children of God, can rest. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be overwhelmed by fear. We know God personally. We have a relationship with him. He's given us his word. He's given us his heart. He's given us life. And so we don't have to be carried away by our emotions. We hold them in check to what we know to be true about who God is and how he loves us and how he provides for us. And that love, that understanding of this father-child relationship, the perfect father, uh, will never abuse, will never abandon. That perfect relationship holds us secure. And so we don't have to be afraid. I think that's so important for us to remember right now as Christians that to be called back to like, we're not afraid. We're going to be proactive. We're going to be responsible. We're going to be cautious, but we're not operating in fear. And if you don't know Christ, I think that's a beautiful thing to hear today is that God loves you and he wants to rescue you from being a slave to fear, to being dominated by your fears and called into this relationship that can give you a confidence and a hope and a peace that maybe you've never experienced before. And because of that, you, you get with worry and anxiety often. You know, there's a quote from a woman, a phenomenal woman of history named Corey Ten Boom. She was a Christian Dutch woman um, that uh, survived a concentration camp in World War II because her and her family hid Jews in their home in the Netherlands. They got caught. They were arrested. She was sent to a concentration camp. Uh, she saw horrific things in that experience, obviously, including the death of her family members. And when she came out of that experience, she ended up writing. She became an author. She spoke about the power of God's forgiveness and, uh, and not succumbing to fear and worry and bitterness. And she said this. She said, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. And that's exactly what some of you are experiencing or people you know and love are experiencing. Well, the key to that is to see yourself as a beloved child. That's how we respond. So we don't have to worry. We have a heavenly father who loves his children, provides for his children. And so we walk confidently as a child of God. And that, by the way, is infectious. If you're living with that confidence, people take note. And it's infectious as they see a person who has that kind of confidence, even in days like today. The second is a self-feeder. How does a self-feeder respond to challenging times? Well, the self-feeder responds by turning to prayer and time in God's word and drawing on scripture more than any other source of information, knowing that reading, internalizing, memorizing, praying, singing, and sharing the truths of God's word will provide the supernatural wisdom, rest, comfort, and guidance that they and others so desperately need. You know, right now with the coronavirus and all that's been going on, a lot of us have been held captive to just scrolling social media feeds, news feeds, and just trying to pick up every little piece of information. Some of that information is valuable and helpful and insightful. Some of it can cause fear and panic and worry or is flat out just inaccurate. We think of the telephone game where if you're in a circle, one person starts with a piece of information and by the time it goes all the way around, it's nowhere near what it was originally. That's happening right now as we're looking at some of these outlets. So, so where do we turn to find guidance, wisdom, rest for our souls? God's word. God, God packages it up for us, and so it's God's Word. So we open up God's Word. We, we meditate on God's Word. We pray it. We memorize it. We sing it. We internalize it. And that's what a self-feeder does. We, we take initiative for our spiritual growth, and so we know where to go. We know to go to God's Word. We know to go to prayer, and we take initiative to go there. Romans fifteen four, another passage written by the Apostle Paul, and the Lord spoke through him, says this, For whatever was written... 
in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have, and what's the word there? Hope. And so some of you looking for hope, some of you wanting to be messengers of hope, what's going to be hands down your greatest resource? God's word. And so we have to be self-feeders. And that passage I love because it talks about all that's been written from history on was written that God would instruct us and that through this endurance, and we're enduring right now through hard times. You were enduring hard times probably long before the coronavirus ever hit the radar. And you're going to experience hard times when the coronavirus dust settles. But when time kicks up, we have to find our source of hope. We go to God's word and we do that with endurance and that will produce uh, encouragement, and it will produce hope. And when people are walking around with that kind of hope, anchored in God's word, it's infectious. People take note, and they want to know, how, how can you have that right now? And so that's how self-feeder is going to respond. Also, how is a servant going to respond to challenging times? A servant is going to respond humbly, yet proactively, looking for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus by helping family and friends and neighbors that have needs in the name of Christ. The servant will especially seek out ways to use their time and abilities to lovingly help those who are fearful and vulnerable by offering prayer and tangible acts of care. You know, uh, really watching the news over the last you know, week or two has really shown us a lot about the human condition, hasn't it? That by nature, we're selfish. By nature, we're going to grab and hoard and carry, and we're going to think about ourselves only. But as a follower of Christ, who, you know, Christ is our example. He came to serve, not to be served. Uh, we then take on that responsibility, and we become people who serve others. And so you, you, you pick your example, whether it's <laughs> buy an extra toilet paper so that you can give it out to others, buy an extra water so that you can give it out to others. I mean, obviously, that's the new, you know, commodity today. Toilet paper and, and water is what we've been reduced to. Uh, hmm, gold? Toilet paper. Okay, which one are we going to take, right? And so, what do we do? We learn how to serve with the time, the talent, the resources God's given us. In the book of Galatians, God writing through the Apostle Paul to the Christians in the area of Galatia, says in chapter 5, verses 13 to 14, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is filled, fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is God's biblical instruction that with all this freedom, with all uh, the, the margin we have in our life, we're not to use it on ourselves. We're to be a blessing to others. And so hopefully some of you, and, and I've seen some very encouraging stories in the last few days of how people are using their time and resources, their talents to, to bless others. You know, Christians all throughout history have stood out because they were willing to help the sick even during plagues and pandemics and persecutions. And they loved people. And they weren't afraid of death. They weren't afraid of exposure because they knew Christ. Now, that doesn't mean they were reckless necessarily, but they knew the cost when they went to serve and help other people. And they were able to demonstrate their faith to a watching world. So, so for us, instead of uh, the main question being, how do I stay healthy? It might be, how can I help the sick? So let's be quick to help and slow to hide out in our homes and our basements and other areas. There's a a man that many of you know named Martin Luther. He was uh, the reformer, Martin Luther. He was dealing with Europe's black death in his lifetime back in the 1300s. He wrote uh, very rich words and wise words that help, uh, can help encourage us in how to approach 
what's happening in our world today. And I just want to put this on the screen for you and read it. He says this, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me. However, I shall not avoid place or persons, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. I mean, he could have wrote that today. That could have been easily uh, everywhere as a fresh written piece today, but this is from the 1300s. And so Christians have always had this mindset of how can we serve? How can we be cautious, caring, but serve those who have great need. And so as you think about that, that's one of the most infectious ways the body of Christ is going to show up right now, is that we step out of our homes, out of our lanes of convenience, and we find ways to bless and serve others. I know some of you as life groups and individuals are already engaging your neighbors. Uh, You're finding out people who are, are now shut off from resources that need help, and you're out there proactively trying to bless and help others. That's being a servant. That's, that's anchored in your understanding of who Christ is and who you are in Christ, and that's infectious. That's going to make a difference. Also, God's called us to be an investor. So how does an investor respond to challenging times? Well, an investor is continuing to faithfully give and to generously use, not hoard, the resources God provides and contributes to his work through the church, knowing that in desperate times, the gospel and God's work is even more critical in times of crisis. The investor does not take their foot off the gas with giving, but remains devoted to glorifying God through their financial stewardship and looks for opportunities to use the resources God's provided to help and bless others in the names of Christ. A lot of times that servant piece is very heavy on our time and our ability and making margin, but that investor piece is a dedication to using the resources, which all belong to God anyways, and channeling the back to be a blessing to others because we trust God's provision. That, that if we're faithful and being generous and giving, God's just going to keep bringing the resources so that we can do so. I want to read a a good-sized passage here found in the book of Philippians. Also, God speaking to the apostle Paul to a group of Christians in Philippi. And in Philippians 4, verses 14 through 20, listen to what he is saying to his brothers and sisters in the community of Philippi. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more, and I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, If you see that on the screen, if you've got that in a Bible in front of you, let's read that out loud together, wherever you're at. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
And what you see here is the Apostle Paul is being faithful to minister to the needs of others. He's out serving. He's sharing the gospel. He's preaching the good news. He's blessing others. And he's getting support from others in the faith. And some of those are wealthy and have the means. And some of them aren't. But they're still faithfully giving and contributing to the needs of the gospel work. And I love what he says when you look again at verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's basically saying, man, it's so good that you guys partnered with me. It's so great that you guys contributed. That's great. But the bigger win is that God looks down on you when you do that, and it puts a big smile on his face. You, you get joy, but God gets a big blessing too to see his children not act in fear with the resources, but to leverage them and use them in a time when there's great need. And so we need to take that to heart. We, we don't back off and hoard and operate in fear with our resources. We continue to be faithful to, to giving to the church, to giving to others in need, and living generously. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And so God has called us to be a generous people. And you can tell who you really depend on. You can tell just how much you love money or possessions uh, by how much you give to God's work. If, if you've been receiving a paycheck for, you know, three months, three years, 30 years, and nothing's ever been given to God, then it's basically a admittance that I don't believe God provides what I have. I'm not going to give back to him uh, out of generosity. I'm not going to uh, demonstrate dependence on him. It's, it's mine. And instead, we, we have all come to understand as we grow as mature disciples, no, it's all God's. And uh, he asks us to be faithful, to give back to his work, and to bless others with it. I'm so glad to be part of a church. Uh, over and over and over again, I've heard so many incredible stories of just your generosity and your faithfulness. And so we don't take our foot off the gas. We keep moving forward. And you know what? That is absolutely infectious. Because in a season where everyone else might be trying to hoard, we're out there trying to bless and help others. That is definitely how those investors show up when there's challenging times. What about a discipler? How does a disciple respond to challenging times? Well, intentionally and relationally teaching others that they are mentoring and shepherding in the faith, how to rely on and obey Christ in all circumstances, even a crisis. This is done by leading by example, by seeking to build up the faith, hope, and love of other believers through journeying together and relying on shared time in God's word, prayer, and serving the community side by side. As a discipler, that means basically, we, we, if you really look at the Christian life, you have three key relationships. Uh, you, you have the Pauls in your life that are mentoring you spiritually, shepherding you, discipling you. Uh, you have your Barnabas, as we would call them. These are peers who encourage you and support you and, and edify you. And then you have your Timothys. This is all biblical language, this mentoring language. And your Timothys are people you're investing in and discipling. And so as disciples, when this, when this type of crisis hits, it's an opportunity to take other believers and side by side and take people you're pouring into and look at what people you know, who are pouring into you are doing and, and journey together and living for Christ out in the world. And so we, we don't lock ourselves up. We don't isolate. God's very clear. One of the most important verses that we see in Scripture from the very beginning is it's not good for man to be alone. If you're isolated, if you're sequestering yourself to be alone and you're just unplugging from every personal contact on phone, you know, face-to-face -face, uh, outlet, you're not going to grow and you're not going to experience a discipling relationship. And so we need to encourage one another, uh, motivate one another, journey with one another in serving Christ together at this time, leaning on everything we've been learning on. In 1 Thessalonians, 
Paul is speaking to the Christians there in Thessalonica, and he says something that's really rich in the category of this discipleship vibe. And in chapter 2, verses 7 through 12, he says this. He says, we, and of course he's speaking of him and others who were discipling and leading the churches in those times. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you become dear to us. I just want to pause there. I love this because it's an understanding that discipleship is not just about information for the mind, but it's a relationship. It's interactive. We, we get into each other's lives and journey together. Moving on, verse 9. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you as believers. You get the picture? Paul and his, and his companions were, were discipling these young Thessalonian believers, and were pouring into their lives. Uh, they were instructing them in the ways of the Lord. Verse 11 says, for you know how, like a father with his children. See that? We had a mother example. We've got a father example. We exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a man worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so as a discipler, who are you pouring into right now that maybe they're afraid, maybe they're scared, maybe they're not knowing how to navigate this unprecedented time in, in our life and history. They need that spiritual mentor to come in and say, hey, come on, this is what it means to follow Christ in a time like this. So we're going to go bless people. We're going to serve people. We're going to go pray for people. And we walk with others. We don't just isolate ourselves. That's an infectious discipleship relationship. And that's what God's called us to. Not just for times like these, but at all times. And that last piece of fruit of new life that we've talked about is a missionary. How does a missionary respond to challenging times? A missionary makes the most of every opportunity to plant, water, and harvest seeds for the gospel. Everyday missionaries will feel an increased sense uh, for... for um, an increased sense of urgency in challenging times to engage family members, friends, neighbors, those they encounter in their community, and even those online who are feeling fearful and vulnerable and who do not have Christ. This leads to confidently praying with others, courageously caring for their needs, and boldly sharing the good news of Jesus as a source of our hope and faith, desiring that they come to know Christ, be connected to God in relationship, and start to live for Jesus. This is what it means to be a missionary. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, God speaking to the apostle Paul says, As for you, he's telling Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I think those are very uh, good instructions for us. Be sober-minded. While the world's going mad and people are acting like you know, crazy people, we're sober-minded. We keep things in perspective. We keep things in check. Also, you endure suffering. There's going to be inconvenience. Some of you are looking at the next two or three weeks of your life going, what am I going to do with work? What am I going to do with my kids? What am I going to do from paycheck? You know what? We endure suffering. And at the same time, we do the work of an evangelist. Now, all of us might not call ourselves an evangelist, but through the Great Commission, Jesus has called us all to be evangelistic. We're to be sharing the gospel with others who have great need. So we also see in Ephesians 5, we're told, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. We acknowledge that this is a season where others are watching the body of Christ. They're watching followers of Christ. 
And so it's a time for us to make the best use of this time. How do you intersect with people who are afraid? You give them the hope that's yours in Christ. And some of you, uh, you're listening because you don't have that hope. And hopefully you're hearing very clear about God's love for you, his desire to be in relationship. Uh, Your sin is an obstacle to that relationship. And he took care of that sin through the death of Jesus on the cross. And by placing your faith in Christ, your hope in Christ, you too can become a child of God. I want to give you an example of what this looks like out of China. Because as we know, China was so heavily hit. It's where all this originated from. But here's an example of what some of the Christians in China were doing. Uh, There was a woman named Zhang who left her home in Wuhan to celebrate Chinese New Year with the family. She soon became sick and she was diagnosed with the coronavirus. And instantly her and her family were quarantined. Well, the Chinese church started engaging Zhang and started to pray for him and bringing them food. And the pastor of that church, Pastor Paul Pang, called Zhang and ended up sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with her. And she gave her life to Christ over the phone. After that, They just continued to remain in contact and encourage her, but her health was declining. And so the church actually gave her a little sound system that she could use to listen to worship music. And she just died a few days after that. And the nurses reported that the last 24 hours of her life were just listening nonstop to the worship music that the pastor gave her. And so when she passed, Pastor Peng offered to hold a memorial service for Zhang using a video conferencing platform. And because of that, about 100 of her family and friends were able to be part of the services. And he preached out of Psalm 80, how calamity should lead people to pray, not only for God to rescue them, but also for people to repent and turn to God. And by the afternoon of that message, the audio and transcript of the memorial was posted on the church's WeChat page, one of their social media outlets in China, and has over 80,000 views. The pastor says that after the service, several of the family members and friends of Zhang came to Christ, and that he was actually getting calls from people asking how they too can know Christ. The pastor says that... He has seen a lot of fruit of God's work amid dark times. He says, through this, we've seen God's grace and the love between the brothers and sisters in the church. And the church members also feel a great burden to evangelize with their family members. So as you watch this world react to this current crisis, it's a a reminder of our mortality. It's a reminder that death is inevitable. And so what's the outcome of what happens after this life? And why do we have to wait until our life is in danger to be made right with God. And so if you're not right with God, my encouragement is to come to Christ, repent of your sins, turn to Jesus, and walk in relationship with the Lord. And for those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, why do we have to wait until the 11th hour to all of a sudden feel the urgency to share Christ with somebody? It's always urgent. Every day is urgent. And so that's how a missionary will engage this situation. So that's the fruit of new life. And if we're living that fruit of new life, it will be infectious. If others see us living that way, it will be shining a light in the darkness. And I will just say, in light of how we are all scattered out right now and all these churches are hosting their services online, this is a little bit of a dress rehearsal for the church. It says a lot about who we would be if heavy persecution came into our life and we weren't able to meet, or even a greater crisis. And so how you're interacting right now should be very revealing of the maturity of your faith, the devotion to Christ, how you see yourself as a disciple, whether most of your concerns are inward, 
And how much of you is designed to be a blessing outwards? And so I want to give you a couple questions to write down. Get a piece of paper, get a pen if you have one close by. Write these two questions down. They're for personal reflection. And when this service is done, I ask you to take these two questions and just have a little time discussing them with whoever's with you right now. The first question is this. What thing did you hear today that encouraged you or gave you hope? Just as we shared this time, what what encouraged you? What, What gave you hope in light of what we just shared? Second, what's one action step that you can take because of that hope? See, if you have hope, it's going to convert to action. It's not just going to be a warm, fuzzy blanket that that holds us warm, right? That's part of it. But the other is it will compel us to go out to share hope. Why? Because the way God's wired hope is to be infectious. It's to be contagious. And so if you're a follower of Christ, our role right now is to be infectious. It's to be contagious to the world right now who so desperately needs to know the hope that's theirs in Christ. And if you don't know Christ, guess what? The Lord wants you infected. (laughs) He wants you to come to Christ, experience the joy, the new life that he offers you. And then a natural byproduct is you can't wait to tell others about what you found in Christ. And so those two questions I ask you to talk about. So no, the church is not shutting down. No, we're not closing. We're actually showing up in people's lives. We're actually showing up in the community. And so the bands the government's requested to meet really are a blessing to force us to move out into the community and to reveal us to look at who we are as followers of Christ. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones, the contagious ones that should be infectious. And so go live that way. Now, we're going to see you next Sunday. Uh, our, our next several weekends are, are going to be online next Sunday for sure, very likely the 29th. We're not sure yet. We're going to watch and see how things play out uh, the following week. And starting next week, we're going to go ahead and stream the service uh, at all of our service times at 8 a.m., at 9.30, at 11, and 6.30. And so feel free to grab some people. If you're alone today, next time, don't be alone. Grab some people, two, three, four, a small group, a life group, and, and share this time together and then talk about it afterwards. I want to spend some time closing in prayer. You know, our president has called today to be a national day of prayer. So we're going to merge into the traffic of the many thousands that will be praying today. And so I just want to lead us in prayer. Would you, you can bow your head. You can close your eyes. You don't have to. But let's just wrap up our time praying about what we've talked about. Well, Father, we come back to you right now. We're so thankful for who you are. God, you're a heavenly father who loves his children. So we're so grateful that we can be beloved children of God. I pray right now for any person watching this that doesn't have a relationship with you, that they would take that next step of believing in Christ. Maybe that's just talking to a Christian friend about what they've heard. Maybe it's about opening the Bible and reading some of the passages we've talked about a little more slowly, a little more in depth. Maybe it's time to just make that declaration. And if you don't know Christ, you can just say right now, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I admit that I'm a sinner. And I need you in my life. So I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. I commit my life to you right now. Help me start today learning about our relationship and what it means to be a follower of Christ. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would just give them boldness. That they truly would be those beloved children, those self-feeders those servants, those investors, those disciples, those missionaries that we've been called to be as we study your word. 
I want to give you a moment to pray. And if you're with a group of people, I encourage you to even pray some of these responses out loud for a minute. I just want to give you a couple prayer prompts. Would you just pray this? Lord, I don't need to be afraid because. Would you just say out loud, based on what you've heard, what you already know to be true of Scripture and of the Lord, Lord, I don't need to be afraid because. Just fill in that blank for a few seconds, wherever you're at. Also, the Lord's called us to action. And so the second prayer prompt I'm giving you today is this. Lord, help me to live infectiously for Jesus by, and what is it? Make this commitment to you and the Lord. Lord, I I feel you. I hear your voice. You want me to do this thing. What is it? Just take the moment and just pray that to the Lord. Lord, help me to live infectiously for Jesus by, what is that going to be? What's that action step? Lord Jesus, you've heard our hearts. You've heard our commitments. You've heard our declarations. Lord, take this time that we've shared. Use it for your glory. Use it to help others that need help right now. Use it to help us grow as a follower of Christ, as an infectious, contagious child of God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.